Hello, my name is Kyle Leon Henderson. And I'm Father Ian Elliot Davis, Canon of the Diocese of Los Angeles, Dean of the Incarnation Deanery, and Rector of St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood. But you can call me Father Davis or Canon Davis. Welcome to Theologically Speaking. Hi, everybody. I'm Kyle Leon Henderson, and I'm here again with Father Ian Elliott Davis. Hello. Hello. Good to see you again. Great to see you. Um, Today is an episode that I'm a little nervous about, just because you had told me about a month and a half ago you wanted to do this episode of the theology of suffering. And then just to kind of go straight into it, my father passed away. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, so when your parent dies, you need to meet with your priest and kind of really do that. So here we are. We're going to, you know, it became something different for me. And I'm actually really excited about this episode. So, Mm -hmm. well, I'm nervous. Are you? I am because um, it's raw. It's very raw. And I, I feel I don't want to intrude in any way, shape, or form. And I, I it, because I, as people know, um, I'm a podcaster. I have another show other than this. It's just my personal ramblings. And I use it as just something to explore what I'm going through and maybe mm-hmm. inspire others. And that's why I'm excited about it because it might get raw for me and you know, there might be somebody out there who needs to hear it because I mean, COVID-19 is happening in 2020 and a lot of people have lost people in 2020. So this might be the most pertinent episode we've done. So Mm -hmm. I say we just get right into it. What do you think? So what do you mean when you say the, the theology of suffering? Suffering at root is about, the human condition. Uh, it's about facing up to the reality of who and what we are, our finite nature. Um, we are not infinite, uh, however much we may want to be infinite. Um, we are limited, and we come up hard against questions mm-hmm. in life. Grief and bereavement mm-hmm. being those that are most to the fore in my mind as we talk Mm -hmm. today. And that was something I wanted to circle back with because I don't want this to be the theology of grief and the theology of bereavement. It just happens to be that I am going through the suffering of grief right now. So Mm -hmm. I'm able to speak on a first person perspective of suffering. But when you say suffering, what, what are other ways that people may be suffering that they can lean into their theology? With that, I think any kind of diminishing of who we are and what we are. Maybe like if you had a job that sort of defined you and exactly. you lost your job or yeah. you lost a child or yes. a divorce. Yes, or an illness mm-hmm. or um, some... Which you can speak on that too. Sure, an sure. An illness that you've come through. Yes, I stared the intensive care unit in the face for uh, three days down Mm -hmm. at Cedars-Sinai. Yeah. And that was a fairly scary kind of experience to go through that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But suffering is any diminishing, any form of uh, life or negation of life, uh, mm-hmm. of the life force or the divine. Um, suffering is not intrinsic to the Christian faith. <laughs> it's not the case that, oh, if I'm going to be a Christian, then I've got to just battle it out and mm-hmm. be as tough as I can. Um, but suffering is something that's that's a, a lot more subtle, um, a lot more to do with maturity and growing and growth, as well as diminishing. So mm-hmm. as certain areas and aspects of our life, for me it was I had cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was realizing that this was possibly going to be the end of the line yeah. for me. And the first kind of uh, consequence of that was I was thinking, I'm letting my parents down. You know, mm-hmm. how stupid uh, could one be uh, than to die on one's parents? And I, yeah. I had a brother who died uh, six years ago um so my parents have already been through that that mm-hmm. grief and that suffering and so there was an added weight when i became ill mm-hmm. um i didn't want to i didn't want them to to be left is is the bottom line mm-hmm. uh i i've always had issues with um, separation anxiety and being left and being alone um, and uh, the idea of me leaving my parents mm-hmm. and them being on their own yeah filled me with with horror that um, was that was something I went through a little bit I mean it's not it's not the same you know right going back to Alabama and leaving my family after my father's funeral and coming back here to live my life in LA, you know, that, that sadness of just like, will everybody be okay mm-hmm. without me mm-hmm. there? Um, but something that, <laughs> something that tickled me this morning, I was thinking about it as I was getting ready. I was so angry that I had grown so much in the last month <laughs> because wow. this suffering, you're like, it's gotta be, like the grief and the sadness and the depression that came with my father passing. So much has happened that made me grow as a person mm-hmm. and to ma- and made me stronger and made mm-hmm. my faith deeper. Mm-hmm. And I was like, good Lord. Mm. I was like, of course this would all have a point, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> because, well, I'm, I'm you know what I mean? You're... It's like, I guess that's such a weird way of looking at it, but I'm like, I guess... God, you're teaching me something. You got to make me sad as I could be to teach me all I know, you know, but. Well, I'm glad you were angry about that (laughs) because if you were content with that, I'd be very, Mm -hmm. I would then be angry with you actually (laughs) because I don't, I don't believe that suffering is a God um, inspired movement Mm -hmm. to teach us how to be better. Yeah. Um, you know the reducing human beings to to being laboratory animals mm-hmm. in a way uh, is fills me with horror as well. The mm-hmm. idea that that we are nothing but rats in a in a kind of a 
one of those complicated, you know, if you push one pedal, you get rat poison. If you push the other <laughs> pedal, you get water Just or whatever. trying to find the cheese here. <laughs> right, trying to find cheese. Yes. Well, did you find, did you grow... Uh, did you find that you were a priest when you got cancer? Right. It was last year. Right, yeah. So you had had a deep grasp on the theology and the spirituality and everything. Did you Were you put in a place where you learned more about yourself through that? Yes, I, I did learn more about myself, and I learned how, how limited I could be mm-hmm. and how ultimately so many of the things that I'd thought were important before were actually unimportant and mm-hmm. of passing value. Yeah. And the the reality of life is that family, uh, they're there. Blood is thicker than water. Mm-hmm. Friends, they show their worth or their worthlessness uh, when they yeah. are or are not there. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you have that? I mean, not to, yeah. not to speak... Yes. At all on yes. any of it, but you've had you had people who yeah, just and, did not show up. And surprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, it was some of my least Christian, if you like, my right. least religious friends mm-hmm. who actually turned around and yeah were there and came and saw me in hospital. And I don't know, the, there was something gutsy and and harsh about being in the, in the ward. Uh, uh, down at Cedar Sinai and going every day and having radiation mm-hmm. and seeing people who some were just beginning, some were halfway through, some were finishing. And um, I was just starting out. And my surgeon uh, was amazingly uh, encouraging and bright and wonderful, a young guy uh, with a family. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kept me hard at the radiation he said you know you can't just take a couple of days off halfway through because you're feeling depressed or down he described it he said your cancer is like a a nest of hornets if you like and Mm. you've walloped it a couple of times with radiation they're really angry now (laughs) and you need to carry on the treatment otherwise they're going to sting the hell out of Mm -hmm. you you gotta get excuse my language i'm sorry (laughs) yeah um, so. Did you find that you wanted to, after your radiation, to just pick up and keep going, just to carry on with your normal Yeah, tasks? reading books. Uh, s- suddenly books have become just crucial for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I went through a period where I said to myself, what am I going to leave behind? What, what will be left of me when I've gone? Yeah. Um, what will be worthwhile. And there's not a great deal, but there's a, there are a few bits and pieces mm-hmm. and books, I hope, that people will value and cherish and, yeah. you know. Yeah, I've been, I've been grappling with through the grief process because I was saying just as we were getting started, you know, you hear all these, you know, I, I call them the Oprah people who can tell you, you know, the psychology of it and mm-hmm. the, you know, the spirituality of it, of that grief will just show up in the weirdest of ways and mm. make you angry for nothing. And, you know, and I'm like, that's, I got it. We'll be sad. I'll, I'll pray about it and then I'll move on. And it's been a month since dad has passed and it's, it's been hard to grapple with and, mm. and stuff, but 
But that leads me to my next question. Um, theologically speaking, what do people do with suffering? What do they do? When you're, you're traveling the path of Christianity, you do your prayers and you do your thing, but then you I hit that brick wall of suffering. I think that, that's it. You, you persist. Uh, you stick at it. The simple, ordinary, down-to-earth stuff, saying the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Our Father, just those simple phrases, they kind of come home. I remember when um, there was a very holy and devout priest um, called Basil Hume, who was a Benedictine monk. Um, He actually achieved um, kind of a very senior position in the Roman Catholic Church in England and Wales. He was diagnosed with cancer and he was dying and I remember his meditations that he offered day by day mm-hmm. on the Lord's Prayer. Some of the most moving and profound thoughts that I've, I've ever heard. And not complicated, not um, intellectual, um, but weighty and, mm-hmm. and, and full of meaning and bathos, uh, deep, deep um, Bathos, indeed. What is bathos? Uh, the depth of the de- well, uh, Sorry, when I say bathos, maybe I've got the wrong word. Uh, I mean it's full of of meaning, of depth, of mm-hmm. of weight, really. Uh, that's what I mean. It, it might mean the opposite, actually. Now <laughs> I think of it, bathos might mean empty. Really? Yes. Uh, it's strange. There are words in the English language, mm-hmm. like we were talking the other day, cleave. Is another one uh, can mean the exact opposite to cleave, can mean to cut apart, but it can also mean to join together mm-hmm. and cleave. <laughs> Cleavage. Cleavage can be the separation, <laughs> but also the joining. Yes. Sorry, now you've gone bright red. I have you to tell. You always do something I have to that tell no one will ever listeners. see. <laughs> you, you've gone so red. It's the Fanta. Uh, it was the f- cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, you were saying that it, it's Sorry. simple but full of bathos. Right. Do you yeah. find that, that is, that's where it starts? The quiet, the simple, the still, when you're in suffering? That's, that's when it comes home to one, I think. That's when, when it's hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, I when when my brother died, I said to myself, "Oh, you're a priest. You you can take this. You're mm-hmm. you're you're big enough to to cope with this." And and I was okay for about two minutes mm-hmm. uh, with that reassurance, and then I realized the impact of my brother's death on on my parents, Mm -hmm. and that's when it walloped me, like the brick wall. Yeah. Um, And uh, one just has to to wait. And that's what happened to me, too. I Dad was, he was sick. It wasn't COVID, but Mm -hmm. he was sick. And the last 12 hours of his life were pretty excruciating for him. And, Mm. and And we were all with him when he died, and 
and you know it was and then fine and we were just praying for relief for him mm-hmm. and so over the first two weeks it was i was at peace with everything because he was just he wasn't in, in pain anymore right. and then you realize after two weeks he's still gone and then you realize oh he's never coming back right and then you realize oh wow everything's different forever mm-hmm. um so I guess with you know with our similarities, we always seem to find our similarities in mm-hmm. ways like that. Is the goal of the theology of suffering to find your way out of suffering? There's no guarantee of that, um, which sounds a bit depressing. But depression plays a part in suffering as well. Um, and realizing the harsh reality. There's humor mm-hmm. um, as well, I think. Um, and I think you and I both are the type of people that we we find comfort in finding the humor in yes. the in yeah. the just terrible. <laughs> yes. Um, some of the 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 most humorous and uh, vivacious people I know are funeral directors mm-hmm. um, because they live with death. They, that's their, their, their job in trade mm-hmm. and they are so close to death all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when clergy and funeral directors get together, it's, <laughs> it's their fantastic lunchtime conversations. <laughs> they are just full of well, fun. I... I did just about an hour after dad had passed. He was at home. We were waiting on the funeral that we had to wait on the hospice nurse. Then we had to wait on the funeral home. Then we had, you know, so there was Mm. a lot of waiting, but we had had 12 hours of crying and, and holding hands and keeping him cool and just exhaustion of taking care of somebody, somebody as they transitioned to that space. And about an hour after he had passed, I got so giggly and I could not help it. And, I, and everybody was so uncomfortable with me. And my aunt would Ooh. say something and I would just, I had to stifle the laugh. And <laughs> and then somebody else would say something. And of course, everybody would kind of laugh with me. And then right. the moment would be over. But then I would still be shaking the couch, just shaking right. laughter over something they said. And I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. I'm so sorry. This is not I- appropriate. Because dad is still laying here in the right. house waiting for someone to come pick him up. <laughs> and I can't stop laughing. No. So is is that a good thing? Yes. To find the yes. joy I, in I, the pain? Well, the, uh, <laughs> the way the human mind works is beyond, um, beyond any reasonable kind of um, uh, way of understanding. I, I think... There can be a situation where things become so intense Mm -hmm. that the only way to release that is through laughter, Mm -hmm. seeing the comic, the the comical in in a situation. And even if that becomes inappropriate, (laughs) sometimes that's exactly what a family needs. They need Mm -hmm. um, to to realise this is a terribly sad situation, but there is another side to it and that life mm-hmm. for them goes on, albeit in a diminished way, as, as I said earlier. But mm-hmm. um, I think humour is, is vital. Um, a friend of mine, Michael Screech, 
in London. Um, what a great name. <laughs> yes. He, well, he wrote a book called Laughter at the Foot of the Cross. Oh, my gosh. I want to read that now. Yeah, yeah. He's a professor of French in Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's another book that I had read a few years ago that I really liked. It was called Between Heaven and Mirth. Oh, and that's... I, I really inventive. am so fascinated by the 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 joy and the laughter mm-hmm. in Christianity. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a subject. The comical and the tragic mm-hmm. uh, are are two kind of different sides of the same coin. I think in in lots of ways. Do you find that when during suffering, people that are looking to use their theology and their spirituality to to not maybe not even bring them out of it but to navigate it do you find that they have to have joy to find success i i don't know that joy and success necessarily go together i guess success uh, in navigating this the, the oh, grief or the right. the suffering do they navigate it better when they have joy and laughter yes i think to contrast contrasting those mm-hmm. and and seeing where it's appropriate and where it's inappropriate to be terribly morbid and and dark and and uh, kind of lost, mm-hmm. then it's those those are tragic moments. But then there are also occasions where where the humorous does break through, and and we've got to laugh, we've got to to smile. Uh, I think they say in Greek, don't they? Um, Smiling through the tears. Uh, Is that Greek? Da on galasasa. I feel like that's. I feel, well, I'm southern, so I feel like that's a very southern oh. thing too. Well, it may. I mean, it shows the <laughs> but who knows? I mean, the, it might have started in Greece. The influence you know? of the Athenian Empire on Georgia and <laughs> Alabama. Back and in Bug Tussle. <laughs> Bug Tussle. Bug Tussle. Oh, tell me, in Bug Tussle was. Was the funeral a, a big event? It yeah. wasn't a big event. And I will say, um, in Alabama, they are a lot more lax about COVID and everything. Um, mm-hmm. My father's funeral was not terribly large, but we did have people there. Like, we, it was a normal funeral. There were singers. There was two preachers. Mm. Um, everybody wore their masks in the church. Um And, yeah, we... And, and actually, something that I was very spiritual to me... In the South, where where I'm from, you know, they, they you bury the dead in a cemetery. And where my dad went to church, there's a cemetery there, and he was buried there. But oh, right. um, normally now, the people who dig the grave, or the people who, the funeral director mm-hmm. recruits someone to dig up the grave and then bury mm-hmm. them. My brother-in-law actually dug the grave himself with his own equipment, and then... I was the first person to pick up a shovel and start burying my right. father uh, after he was lowered into the ground. So we did a very, I, it felt very pastoral to me yes. yeah. to, to just have the men of the family picking up shovels and right. burying my father. And so that it was very intimate, but it was what we would have had if COVID wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. But mom did call me the other day and she said, I'm so glad. And I said, what? And she said, no, there's never, there hasn't been a case of COVID from for anybody who came to the funeral. Wow. 
And then she said um, somebody's name that I won't say, but she said so and so died the other day, and twelve people got COVID from his funeral. Oh, good lord! So <laughs> I was like, right. and she goes, so I feel like we did good, right? And I said, like, we sure did. Yeah. So uh. it it was hard, but I, I am grateful that I was able to have that, and I know that there were so many who wasn't, and I know that that's probably a big source of suffering for people right. that they didn't get to have that final you know hmm. final space as much as they did but it was a small country church with mostly people who live around each other hmm. so it was a bit of a risk i think for hmm. sure um but i'll be grateful it sounds very much that it was a community mm-hmm. event as well in in some ways yeah which my home town in wales it would be very much a community mm-hmm. event well, I mean, it was a, a one of the preachers was a Baptist preacher who was friends with Dad and was drafted to Vietnam with Dad. Oh. Um, and he told the story of how he and Dad got arrested for the first time together. <laughs> so <laughs> very southern, <laughs> but but yeah, it was it was nice, and and that part gave me a lot of peace. And like you said, mm. it it soothes you for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then you have to deal with the real life, what's mm-hmm. left behind. So, so anybody suffering or anything, where, what would you say, mm. where do you start? Where does one... Yeah, like if, if you need something more than just, you need something mm. more, I don't know, I guess theologically sound for your exact you Start where suffering. you are, reorient yourself reassess where one is and it's like um cartography finding oneself on a map Mm -hmm. and try and see the perspective try and see the contours of the land the shape of the surrounding terrain Mm -hmm. and just try and assess where one is um and then one can move if one desires to move. I will say that, I don't know if it's just the cadence with which you say things, but I've, that's what I've known because, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Episcopalian. I go to church. I know that, you know, and I, and I, and I watch Oprah all the time. So I know <laughs> this is true, but sometimes you just need to hear it, you know, and I think that's, that's important. And what would you say that it is, is it important to do anything specific with study or with prayer or with anything like that? Or is it? Feel it. I should say that probably one of the most formative and crucial uh, books for understanding the whole subject of suffering, theologically speaking, is uh, in the 20th century, Jürgen Moltmann's volume Jürgen Moltmann M-O-L-T-M-A-N-N is a German theologian Mm. Uh, The Crucified God uh, that came out in the uh, 19 I will tell you now in the 1970s Mm. came out in 1973 in fact and um, translated into English and The Crucified God uh, speaks about 
how God, in fact, identifies with suffering and experiences. Now, this is where language starts to, to become problematic because to say that God suffers is something that Christians have avoided saying mm -hmm. because to suffer can mean to change and God is supposed to be unchanging. Mm -hmm. So therefore, God is not able to suffer. Now, even that sounds a bit peculiar mm -hmm. to say that God is not able it to do something. It reminds me of this old hymn um, that we had sang in the church, Oh, to God's unchanging hand. Right. I remember that. I don't know that one. Is that from the Baptist hymnal? Is oh, it was in the Church of Christ hymnal. Oh, right. So, okay, right. Uh, but I think the Baptists sing it too. But yeah, it's it's interesting that you, it just further proves your point that people right. think he's unchanging. He's mm -hmm. not capable of suffering. Well, the the crucified God and also uh, a movement called Process Theology. Um, when I was a young student. Uh, these had a, a profound impact on me because mm -hmm. they loosened up the language, the the grammar of theology for me. They kind of um, made it more uh, attainable, mm -hmm. uh, a language that I could speak, uh, could understand and comprehend. Would it be appropriate to make connections of our own suffering to the suffering that Christ oh, suffered I, yes. on the cross. I think we have to. Uh, for Christians, that's that's an absolutely mm -hmm. um, crucial, uh, forgive the pun, uh, that's a crucial connection that must be made um, because to see into the heart of God is to see Calvary, to see what redemption can mean to see the worst that human nature can throw at God, mm -hmm. the worst that we can uh, contemplate, and to see how God takes that into his being and transmutes and transforms death into life. Um, that's, for me, what the hope of of in the midst of suffering, what the Christian hope is, mm -hmm. that there is life in spite of all the, 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 the wickedness and the, the suffering and the pain and the fragility that is around. And there are, you know, um, there are shades, very subtle shades, um, in the whole subject of theologically speaking, theologically talking mm -hmm. about suffering uh, that uh, I want to explore, uh, I think, uh, launching off from Jürgen Moltmann's mm -hmm. The Crucified God. He gave some lectures at Westminster Abbey not so long ago, um, and I need to, to catch up with those and find out what his, his latest thinking uh, is. Um, and he's still alive. Mm -hmm. He is. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, that, what you just said, just, I mean, it really resonates with me. It made me realize that theology and God is at the very core of my own suffering and grief in a way that I, I did, you know, I, I knew that I'm a Christian. I knew that I'm going through something, so I need to use my faith to get through it. But I didn't realize till this moment, the grief is my faith. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that that's what you made me realize that this is this is you know they you you say you have principles, but then when when you know when you're out of the frying pan and into the fire, you kind of give up your principles and do what you got to do mm-hmm. to get through it. Mm. It you know this is the time to really put your money where your mouth is, put your heart where your soul is. Right. And be a Christian to get yourself through the suffering. Mm-hmm. And not get yourself through it. Let God do it. And God will. Uh, God is more than capable of carrying us. Um, uh, and there's that awful, awful poster, you know, the footprints on the beach, mm-hmm. which I can't stand. It makes me absolutely furious. <laughs> the The two sets of footprints, and then it's the one set of footprints, uh-huh. and... The person gets angry and says, oh, where were you when I was at my worst, when I was suffering? Look, there's only one set. Of, and God says, I was carrying you. Mm-hmm. Those aren't your footprints. Those are mine. And there, there is something very um, profound about that, that we mm-hmm. are carried in the heart of God. For me, it's the sacred heart of Christ mm-hmm. and the immaculate heart of Mary are what... Uh, that's the way my my religious mm-hmm. language comes out, I suppose, the way I would express it. But um, it echo, the depth echoes depth, and I think one hears, when one hears the depth of someone's experience, one intuitively knows, um, and God intuitively knows mm-hmm. about our... Our suffering as well. And it's, just to piggyback off that, it's so interesting the way that I have felt how God has shown up. Like, oh, you you took that ugliness mm. and just turned it into something that taught me everything I needed to know in that moment. Wow. And it's like, wow. That, and that's what I meant by this morning. I'm like, everything mm. that I'm hating right now is something God's teaching me for. <laughs> and it's, mm. you know, I'm growing like crazy. How old are you? 33. Because I think you're like 24 or something like that. Um, it's because my partner's an esthetician. <laughs> That's I got taut skin. <laughs> Can he do anything for me? He, no. He is a magician. I'm 56 years of age. Well, you don't look I, a day over 55. Thank you very much. That's so kind. Yes. But... I think that is, I mean, I, I, I feel like that is no better place than there to stop. Right. And yeah. just see how the the people might think. But is there any kind of resources or just like the book, The, the Crucified God? The Crucified God. That's one. Is there, is there anything else that anybody going through something oh, should read? Um, uh, talk to your, your, your priest if you're able to. <laughs> um, what, if, what if that we have listeners who don't have a priest? Um Talk to a trusted friend Mm -hmm. that you've known for some time who's wise uh, and is able to to cope, able to to carry. Because it it can be a burden. Well, you gotta strike when the iron is hot, right? (laughs) Well, I've got a poem. I was going to read a poem. Oh, you have a poem. I would love to hear it if you don't mind that it might make me cry. Um, (laughs) It's called The Agony. And George Herbert was a Welshman and a metaphysical poet. Philosophers have measured mountains, fathomed the depths of seas, of states and kings, 
walked with a staff to heaven and traced fountains, but there are two vast, spacious things, the which to measure it doth more behove, yet few there are that sound them, sin and love. Who would no sin let him repair unto Mount Olivet? There shall he see a man so wrung with pains that all his hair, his skin, his garments bloody be. Sin is that press and vice which forceth pain to hunt his cruel food through every vein. Who knows not love? Let him assay and taste that juice which on the cross a pike did set again a brooch. Then let him say if ever he did taste the like. Love is that liquor sweet and most divine which my God feels as blood but I as wine. Mm. That's beautiful. That's that says everything. That, that says it all. Really. We experience it as wine, God. It's God's blood. Mm-hmm. That's the cross and what exactly what you've just been saying. Yeah. I mean I can't think of any, I can't think of anything more profound than those words, mm. so I think that's a beautiful place to end the conversation for now. Thank you. I'd be willing. I'd be really interested to come back to this in a month or so, or yes. a couple of months, yes. and re- revisit because, yeah. and maybe you know, give people the opportunity to hear the episode and then have some follow-up questions because this is uh, this is great. And if people want to ask, you know. Oh, well, yes, obviously, if they want to ask complicated mm-hmm. questions, then that's, that's fine. We can do that. Yeah. Theologically Speaking is a production of Church Nerds Media. Executive producers of the show are Jeffrey Clark Tosca, Father Ian Elliott Davis, and Kyle Leon Henderson. Associate producer is Ed Tosca. Theologically Speaking is mixed and edited by Kyle Leon Henderson. For more information about St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood, visit our website at www.stthomashollywood.org Follow us on Instagram at stthomashollywood or visit our Facebook page. If you love the show, don't forget to tell your friends, rate, and review our show. It helps even more people find us. And finally, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. 